I want to talk to you about sowing and reaping. It's the uh, consequences material in the Word of God. This is really taken from uh, a book that Ted and I wrote together, Instructing a Child's Heart. Parents' response very often after hearing uh, Ted teach on shepherding a child's heart is, what? No consequences. How will I ever keep control if all I do is shepherd hearts? And so I want to talk to you today in this session about how we can use consequences in a way that are biblical rather than behavioristic. I want you to imagine with me a little boy named Billy, oh, maybe eight, nine, ten years old, and uh, he comes down to breakfast in the morning and he is already complaining. He doesn't like what you prepared for breakfast. He can't find his favorite shirt you must not have gotten it washed for him. And his sister was in his room and touched his stuff. His response was to take her purse and dump it out on the floor and break her, uh, he broke her favorite mirror. How are we tempted to respond to Billy in this moment? Well, we could be authoritarian and we, we could say, I don't want to hear one more word of complaint out of you this morning, Billy. Or we could threaten Billy. Billy, if I hear one more word of complaint out of you this morning. Or we could use the emotional approach. What would our home be like, Billy, if I had one morning without you complaining? Or we could say, it makes me so sad to tell your dad when he came, comes home tonight once again how you were complaining. Or we could, we could use guilt. My life, Billy, is just made up of a series of disappointments, and you're one of them. Or we could even, we could even bring Jesus into it. What would Jesus think, Billy? Now that's not a bad question if it's asked for the right reason, but you know you can ask that question without having any real evangelical motive in mind. Or we could, uh, of course, there's the, the stiff upper lip approach. Billy, when the going gets tough, the tough get going. Well, these incentives these tangible and emotional incentives are all very powerful tools. They're used all over uh, the world with great effectiveness. They're powerful tools, but they're damning instruction for our children. What constructive biblical response could we bring to Billy for his complaining? If we're going to shepherd Billy, rather than just manipulate his behavior and get him to shut up. How can we respond? And where do consequences fit in to a biblical picture? We want to have orderly homes, but God's priorities have to be our priorities. We must be concerned with Billy's heart. The sowing and reaping principle of God's word 
provides us with the answers to these questions. We're going to start with some definitions. We want to understand what behaviorism is. I think we all have used behaviorism and we're acquainted with it because it's so popular in our culture. But let's identify it specifically. Behaviorism is constraining and controlling behavior through a system of rewards and punishments. The carrot and the stick. In behaviorism, and this is important to note, in behaviorism, consequences are the sole means of changing behavior. I'm depending on making the prize good enough or the punishment onerous enough to get the child's attention to change his behavior. Consequences serve only in a biblical view to underscore the principles of God's word. In biblical correction, discipline, and motivation, this is instruction and discipline that uses the enduring truth of scripture to inform the heart first and then to direct the behavior. And again, consequences serve only to underscore the principles and absolutes of scripture. That's the only role consequences should play. Teaching your children to understand the sowing and reaping principle of scripture is vitally important because that is what sets behaviorism and its rewards and punishments apart from biblical instruction. The sowing and reaping principle of scripture is not a warning. We think of it that way, but it's not just a warning. It's a statement of fact. It's based on the blessings and cursings that are attached with God's covenant with man. First with Adam, in the garden, then with the patriarchs in the Old Testament, and certainly with his chosen people, Israel. The sowing and reaping principle of scripture reflects the consequences that God has already built into his world. They are a fact. The most notable sowing and reaping passage is Galatians 6, verses 7 and 8. Do not be deceived. God cannot be mocked. A man reaps what he sows. The one who sows to please his sinful nature, from that nature will reap destruction. The one who sows to please the spirit, from that spirit will reap eternal life. Biblical consequences are not disconnected from the shepherding process. In fact, they're a vital part of the shepherding process. And biblical consequences are sanctifying. The biblical concept of sowing and reaping uses consequences to underscore God's truth about all of life. Consequences don't change behavior. That's so important for us to get a hold of because the whole world is preaching a different messages. Consequences don't change behavior. Real change takes place as God's truth by his spirit takes root in our hearts. That's true for you and me, isn't it? It's true for our children. It's important for us then, because we're tangible representatives of God's authority, it's important for us both to understand 
and to practice biblical consequences rather than the rewards and punishments of behaviorism. Understand and teach your children about sowing and reaping from God's word. I want to give us some starting places for that this morning in this really a brief outline of uh, this material from Instructing a Child's Heart. There are two types of consequences. There are natural consequences. That's what happens if no one interferes. I've told my own children and scores of children in Christian school uh, how to understand this difference. And I said, you know, if you, you kick something, your toe hurts. That's a natural consequence. There are other natural consequences as well that I think we interfere with as parents sometimes. Uh, for instance, your child has lost his calculator now for the fifth time this semester. What are we tempted to do? We're tempted to run out to Walmart and get him another calculator. I would say, honey, I'm so sorry that you've lost your calculator again. Isn't it great that God built you on the decimal system? You have 10 fingers and 10 toes. So for the time being, until you have saved enough money to purchase your own calculator, you're going to have to do math the old-fashioned way. Natural consequences are what happens if no one interferes. And I think sometimes we don't allow those natural consequences to happen. Another quick one, your child has forgotten their lunch. It's on the kitchen table and they're at school. What are we going to do? Oh, I, don't, I can't tell you how many moms have run to McDonald's and gotten a Happy Meal and delivered it to the school for their child who forgot their lunch on the bus or in the car. I say, oh, what we're teaching the child is you are irresponsible once again, and you get a happy meal. It doesn't make sense. We need to say, honey, I'm so sorry you don't have your lunch today. Here's a glass of water. Unless a child has some kind of metabolism, a sugar metabolism problem, uh, that glass of water will be sufficient and it'll be a reminder to your child tomorrow morning to remember his lunch. We need to allow the natural consequences to happen. But there are also those that are shaped by authority, where the authority determines the outcome that is called for to underscore the principle and absolute from scripture. This is so misunderstood. Oh, I've had these conversations so many times. A child gets on the phone and they say to their friend, you won't believe what my mother is doing to me now. And I say, no, honey, you've misunderstood. Mother has shaped the consequence, but this is something that you have brought on yourself because of the choices that you have made. We need to help our children understand that when we shape consequences for them, they're their consequences. They're not, it's not something I'm doing to them. It's something that they have brought on themselves. Of course, the qualities, there need to be these uh, qualities to the consequences that authorities shape. They need to be re reasonable, not extreme or excessive. You know, that's it, I've had it up to here, no TV for six months. <laughs> well, you know that's not gonna work, we're not gonna come back from that, and that's fueled by what? Frustration and anger. So we need to be reasonable. 
Secondly, we need to have them be logical. We want our consequences to be connected to what has gone wrong. Our consequences must truly serve the goals, the biblical goals of correction and discipline. It is to disciple our children, not just to get them, don't do that anymore, or do this, you've got to do this. Rather, we want to disciple their hearts. When we shape the consequences, we must always remember that there is a spiritual dimension. You can't see it there, but there's a spiritual dimension to sowing and reaping. Recognize that reaping is more than the immediate temporal consequence that we bring about. We cannot depend solely on consequences to alter our children's behavior. So I want to talk to you for a bit about that spiritual dimension. What do I mean by that? It's simply this. Children need a harvest mentality to understand that there are deeper dimensions to reaping than simply the consequences that we've shaped as parents. There is always an unseen world of spiritual reality in God's training of us. And it serves to have us live in the sensory world, the world we can see and touch and feel with the grasp of true reality. And it gives us a sense that temporal things are not of the greatest importance, that the unseen world is of the greatest importance. That's why I love this sowing and reaping analogy in God's word. You plant a seed and you don't see anything. That's the unseen world. But it's going to sprout. There's going to be a harvest. We want our children to understand Everything you say and do, whether you sow to the flesh, will reap destruction. You sow to the spirit, you'll reap eternal life. There are, we're always sowing and we're always reaping, both, both positively and negatively. We shouldn't be surprised when there's a harvest. I think sometimes uh, children uh, plant sinful behavior and then they pray for crop failure. <laughs> but there's no crop failure in God's economy. What are some of the reaping what are some of the reaping considerations we must bring to our children if we're going to understand this spiritual dimension they're both positive and negative as i've already said there are blessings that attend faithful behavior there are outcomes that attend sinful behavior as well what tangible consequences serve to teach our children the truth of god's word I want to caution us with something here, and that is that we can't do the training that I'm going to be talking to you about at times of correction. This needs to be done in times of formative instruction, time when there's nothing at stake. Your children have not uh, misbehaved. This is uh, family devotion time, or some other time when you're talking to your children about the truth of God's word. This is formative instruction. Teach your children that we're always reaping. We're always reaping in relationship with God. There are outcomes always, and God will not be mocked. God is either our friend or he's our enemy. God hates the double-minded. He says, you can't be, uh, you're either hot or you're cold. There's no lukewarm for God. 
we're always either gathering or scattering. We have a sense of biblical well-being or a sense of guilt and fear. You cannot sin without hardening your heart. Remember Billy? Billy is hardening his heart with his complaining this morning. We always reap in relationship to God. Proverbs 5.21 says, For a man's ways are in full view of the Lord, and God examines all of his paths. Billy, God is watching you. That's not a scare tactic. That's reality. Our children need to have a sense of God's presence in their lives, in your home, so that they have a sense that God is watching them just as surely as you are. Positively, faithfulness <laughs> means that we draw near to God. We have a sense of his presence, of his comfort, of his peace. Negatively, sin brings the fruit of guilt and fear. I often use this analogy with my children and, and in school too. You know how um, in the winter when you're picking up a nice hot cup of cocoa, uh, if you have calluses on your hands, it helps you pick up that hot cup of cocoa uh, without burning yourself. Calluses on your hands are great help. Calluses on your heart are devastating. And every time we sin, Every time we walk away from God, we put calluses on our hearts. We are damaging our relationship with God. Do you see the implications of that for sowing and reaping? Secondly, we reap in habits for life. I hope you can see that. We, we reap in habits for life. Bad habits are hard to shake. They're resilient. How will this behavior look in 10 years? You and I are illustrations of this. The struggles that we had in our youth that are unresolved persist until this day, don't they? Proverbs 5, 22 and 23 are powerful uh, reminder of this. The evil deeds of a wicked man ensnare him. The cords of his sin hold him fast. He will die for lack of discipline, led astray by his own great folly. Billy's complaining spirit will not disappear at some magical point it will just become more thoroughly entrenched as a part of who Billy is. Billy needs to realize, when I complain, I'm reaping in the habits of my life. Next, we reap in reputation. I guess Ted will get this. We reap in reputation. How does Billy want to be considered? Does he want to be thought of as kind and appreciative and patient or as a demanding and petulant boy? What effect will his behavior have on his opportunities, his privileges, and his usefulness in, in the kingdom of God? You see, your authorities today 
are your colleagues of the future. I know many of you have experienced that. I, knew, I now have two, uh, a daughter-in-law, uh, two daughter-in-laws who were my students. <laughs> I was their principal. We're always uh, reaping in reputation. Proverbs 20 verse 11 says, even, if, even a child is known by his actions, whether his conduct is pure and right. You know that even in your little children's playgroups, children know who will be nice to you and who will bite you. We reap in reputation. We reap next in relationships. Our behavior has great implications for our relationships with our peers and with our authorities. Our relationships are either open and free or they're filled with guilt and fear and defensiveness. Billy, our relationship is really stressed this morning because of the choices that you've made. Children need to understand that the choices they make, they're already reaping in their relationships with their parents, with their siblings, with their friends, with their teachers at school. And of course, that just potentiates into the future because they're preparing for a life of relationships. We all live in relationships. You can't, you can't get up in the morning without immediately being involved in relationship. First with yourself. <laughs> when you put your feet out on the floor in the morning, the way you interact with yourself begins to shape what your day is going to be like. We reap in relationships. We, we reap in long-term outcomes. The most important outcomes to behavior are not immediate and temporal. They have to do with a useful, God-honoring life. Do you remember Luke 15? This story, story always brings tears to my eyes. You remember the, the story of the prodigal son. What a beautiful picture of redemption. Relationship was restored, but there was no inheritance. We praise God for the redemption but the consequences for the prodigal son were devastating. There was a loss on every level. His time, his opportunity, his energy, his resources. Again, in uh, Proverbs chapter 5, verses 21 and, uh, to 23, there's a wonderful picture painted there of the long-term outcomes, the way one's life is wasted and you come to the end of your life and have nothing to show for it. Billy, whose kingdom are you serving today? Are you serving Billy's kingdom or are you serving Christ's kingdom? We reap in long-term outcomes and of course there are eternal outcomes. Proverbs 11:18 the wicked man earns deceptive wages. In other words, you can even get away with it now, but
but he who sows righteousness reaps a sure reward. In other words, eternity will tell the story. Behavioristic rewards and punishments don't serve these powerful spiritual ends. We must teach our children to have a harvest mentality. Teach this sowing and reaping principle from God's word to your children. Biblical correction and discipline uses all the circumstances of life to show our children how sin has affected their lives and the great purposes of God in providing redemption and hope in their time of need. We're tempted to think of discipline as an interruption. We need to re we need renewed minds. We need to think realistically about the unseen world. Discipline equals opportunity. Children would be uh, sent to my office when I was a school administrator because they had been caught lying or cheating. And I would smile at them broadly and say, I'm so happy to see you. And they looked at me with a puzzled look that she has the red slip right there. And I would say, I'm so happy to see you because God has extended mercy to you. God has given you an opportunity here to see your sin, to acknowledge your sin, to repent and be restored. You see, we want to see discipline as an opportunity to extend mercy just as God has extended mercy to us. Well, we want to talk for just a couple minutes about the reaping process. If that's the important content of sowing and reaping, what would a reaping process look like? First of all, these, there are important steps to the reaping process, and we cannot ignore these if we're going to be biblical rather than behavioristic. First, we want to ask questions to draw our children out. I'm concerned about you. You have a problem with fill in the blank. Do you know what I mean? The answer is yes or no. If it's yes, you can go on. If it's no, you illustrate with whatever the most recent infraction was. Get an acknowledgement, even if it's only a nod. And always dialogue, don't monologue. You know if you monologue, the, the screen goes up and, and you're not gonna get anywhere. Always, always uh, dialogue. Ask your child what they're thinking, what they're feeling. Proverbs 20 verse five has this profound insight for us. The purposes of a man's heart are deep waters and a man of understanding draws them out. We want to be people of understanding. Remind them of formative instruction. This sinful behavior exposes internal problems your child has. Go to scripture to describe and uncover God's view of that area of sin. Remind your child of the truth that you've looked at with them in times of family devotions in your formative instruction. Remind them there are serious outcomes that you are reaping for the choices that you've made. Now, here is where people usually stick the consequence in. 
because you've done this, it equals this in our house, and so that's what's going to happen. That's not where we want to go. There are serious outcomes that you are reaping. Do you see what those serious consequences are? They're the things we've already discussed. Relationship with God, habits for life, reputation, relationship with others, long-term and eternal outcomes. Take this moment to talk with your children about the spiritual, temporal, and eternal benefits of God's ways and the spiritual, temporal, and eternal consequences of sin. Next, ask them, how can I help you? Come alongside them. And in this moment, you want to identify with his struggle. I want to help you with this area of struggle that you're having. Let's work on some means, some accountability, reminders, prayer. This is what Christ does for you and me, isn't it? Do you remember 1 Corinthians 10, 13? I will not tempt you beyond what you're able to bear, but with the temptation I provide a way of escape so that you can bear up under it. And in Hebrews 4, verses 14 to 16, we're reminded about Christ, our great high priest, who was tempted in every way just like we are, yet was without sin. And it's because he was made like his brothers in every way that we can boldly approach the throne of grace and find mercy and grace to help us in our time of need. We want to come alongside our children in the same way that Christ has come alongside of us. Identify with his struggle. Identify your, for your child sowing and reaping to the spirit. What would, what would sowing and reaping to the spirit look and sound like in this struggle that your child is facing? What blessings would attend godly choices in this uh, instance? What are the godly alternatives to the choices that he has made? Discuss them with him, role play them with him. Help him to see there is a better way to solve the problem with his sister who is hitting him or his sister who has gotten into his things or whatever the issue is. Next, we want to say you must, you may not continue to respond, to act, or to talk in this way. This is a standard. It's based on the principles and absolutes of God's word. It's not negotiable. This is what I expect of you, because this is what God's law says is good for you and for me. In light of sowing your sin, in light of the choices that you've made, you will reap now. This is the consequence that you will have in light of the choices that you've made. The child should be confronted with uh, your nurture, your shepherding, and your censure of their behavior. But I want you to notice something here. Notice the relatively small role of consequences because it is not where our hope of change is invested. Consequences only serve to demonstrate biblical truth that there is always a harvest. So even when we bring that consequence, we want to say to our child, 
This is just to get your attention and remind you of these important issues from God's word. And then pray with and for your child. Prayer brings the connection between your spiritual instruction and God's promises. This isn't simply, prayer isn't simply a theoretical belief system. It's an opportunity to, in practical ways, demonstrate your own dependence on God for insight and perseverance and for your child to have the courage and humility that he needs to confront his temptations. Next, give your child an opportunity to respond. This signals to him that it's for his benefit. It's, it's, it's a positive thing. We don't do this shepherding work for results, but to be faithful to the work that God has given uh, for us to do. Consequences do not serve as power plays to prove our role or power or strength or to put our kids in their place. That's how they're used behavioristically, but not in God's, not in God's word. They're designed by God to display the reality of God's ultimate rule in the affairs of men and to extend mercy while there is time to repent and trust in God. Very quickly, what are the implications for us as, as parents? We must learn to identify the hollow and deceptive philosophies we've been taken captive by. We need transform minds. Behaviorism may be popular. It may even work in the short term, but it obscures the gospel, and it never gets to the heart. How do we get transformed minds? Very quickly, know the scriptures. Do you remember uh, Moses when he's given the law to his people? Uh, one last time, and he says to them, take to heart all the words that I have solemnly declared to you this day, so that you may command your children to obey carefully all the words of this law. Listen to this. They are not idle words for you. They are your life. We need to know God's word if we're going to bring it to our children. We need to identify ways, uh, secular solutions for spiritual struggles that we've used from God's word. We need to be people of prayer. Don't talk to your children about that which you have spoken little with God. One of the most powerful ways to help your children is to do self-shepherding. Use what God is teaching you and his discipline of you to help your children. I love Deuteronomy 6.6. 6. It says, these words are to be on your hearts. Then teach them to your children. Psalm 34 is so powerful in that regard. Taste and see that the Lord is good. I love that. Have the taste of the Lord's help for your struggles on your tongue. And have it be so palpable that when your children are struggling, you have something to give them. Taste and see that the Lord is good. Blessed is the man who takes refuge in him. Fear the Lord, you his saints, for those who fear him lack nothing. And then verse uh, 10, come my children, listen to me, 
and I will teach you the fear of the Lord. If we have the taste of the goodness of our Heavenly Father and His redeeming love on our tongues, we have something to offer our children. The gospel must be central. You cannot save your children. Nothing you do or they do can save them. We shepherd our children. That's our calling. It's God's spirit that causes them to respond to the gospel. If you try, you will damage your relationship because you'll be angry and demanding or sullen in order to get your way. Hope for us and our children is found at the foot of the cross. Matthew 11, come to me all you who are weary, heavy laden, I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am meek and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your soul. If you discipline, if your discipline and consequences don't open the door to the gospel, it's not biblical discipline. Now you remember Billy complaining? What help do we have for Billy? I would take him to Philippians 2. And there's both sowing and reaping here. I wish we had time to look at it longer. But uh, here's sowing. Do everything without complaining and arguing, Billy. And then here is reaping. So that you may become blameless and pure, children without fault in a crooked and depraved generation. Listen to this, in which you shine like stars in the universe as you hold out the words of life. That basis for changing Billy's complaining heart to a thankful heart that foundation is absolutely necessary if we're going to see Billy change. All of the punishments, all of the rewards that you can think of don't have the power of this passage in Philippians 2, 14 to 16. This is costly work. What hope is there that you and I can do this and do this transform mind thing uh, that moves us from behaviorism to biblical sowing and reaping and shaping consequences that do that powerful work of underscoring the principles and absolutes of God's word. I believe it's found in the prayer that Paul prays for the Ephesians in Ephesians chapter three. And so I want us to pray that prayer as we as we conclude. Let's bow our heads. Lord, we come to you with Paul's prayer on our hearts. We kneel before you, Father, from whom his whole family in heaven and on earth derives its name, and we pray that out of his glory, glorious riches he may strengthen us with power through his spirit in our inner being so that Christ may dwell in our hearts through faith. And I pray that we, being rooted and established in love, may have power together with all the saints to grasp how wide and long and high and deep is the love of Christ and to know this love that surpasses knowledge that we may be filled to the measure of all the fullness of God. Now to him who is able to do immeasurably more 
than all we ask or imagine according to his power that it is, is at work within us. To him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations forever and ever. Amen.